0: Welcome to Squawk 5353, the Private Pilot Podcast, Episode 13. I'm your host, Izzy Simon, a private pilot, sharing my tips and tricks to make the skies a safer place. In today's episode, we'll be discussing aeromedical factors. Stay tuned for all this and more at Squawk 5353. First and foremost, I'd like to define aeromedical factors. Aeromedical factors concern the body with the various external conditions forced upon it during flight. These factors become increasingly more important, especially when you find yourself entering IMC or instrument meteorological conditions. Protecting yourself from these factors requires a working knowledge of how your body is affected in the aviation environment. As many of you already know, the human body is the most important system of any aircraft. As you fly, there's going to be variations in your oxygen levels, pressure, and chemicals. Because of this, the body can become incapacitated during flight. Aeromedical factors can be categorized into a variety of different categories, including carbon monoxide poisoning, hyperventilation, hypoxia, sinus block, illusions, and scuba diving hazards. First and foremost, however, you must understand the complexity of the body's sensory organs. While flying, you can rely on your visual, vestibular, and postural sense. The visual sense is the most obvious. This is what you see. The eyes function, however, different during day and during night. During the day, you should scan using your eyes' center of focus, however, At night, you shouldn't look directly at your target, but rather look away from the target. This differing strategy has to do with the anatomy of the eye. The eye is made up of rods and cones. Rods are responsible for seeing light and dark, and cones are responsible for seeing color. Because of their placement in the eye, it's better to use your rods to see at night, and your cones are more helpful during the day when there is color. The next sense is the vestibular sense. The vestibular sense is your balance and is controlled by fluid located in your inner ear. This fluid reacts to movement and the brain processes this movement. When the body is in a constant state of motion, the vestibular sense can be tricked. This happens most often when the body is spinning. The feeling of dizziness and disorientation after spinning for a long time is a result of the vestibular sense being manipulated. In addition to the vestibular sense, you have the postural sense. The postural sense ties directly into the nerves and what you feel. Just like you feel yourself push into the seat when you pull up, postural sense lies on physical inputs to the body so that it can properly react or sometimes misreact when misinformed. In VFR conditions, these senses parallel each other and it makes flying an easier task. However, when flying in IMC or IFR conditions, the task becomes much greater. Oftentimes, you must rely on what you are seeing and not what you are feeling, but your body's instinct is to do the opposite of that. And now we talk about individual aeromedical factors, the first of which is carbon monoxide poisoning. Carbon monoxide in aviation typically comes from the burning of aviation fuel. It is typically also the most dangerous in the winter months because heating units are most likely to source their air from around the exhaust. Carbon monoxide is dangerous because it's more likely to attach itself to your blood cells. However, carbon monoxide has no use in the body, and therefore will provide no energy or life to your body. With less than 10% concentration of carbon monoxide in your blood, you can expect no side effects. Once you get into the 10 to 20%, you can expect a slight headache. As you get from 21% to about 40%, you can have a headache, impaired judgment, shortness of breath, drowsiness, and blurred vision. Even higher amounts of carbon monoxide poisoning can prove fatal. There typically will be some sort of sensory cue, such as smelling fumes, but because carbon monoxide is odorless and colorless, sometimes it can go unnoticed until it is too late. There are solutions for this, such as carbon monoxide detectors. There's a whole variety of carbon monoxide detectors available, some which operate off batteries, and some which rely on the power of the airplane. Either way, it is always a smart idea to carry a carbon monoxide detector with you. If you do suspect carbon monoxide poisoning, open the windows and use an oxygen source if available. Make sure to land as soon as possible and declare an emergency if you think the situation warrants it. Once safely on the ground, have your aircraft inspected to determine the source of the problem. Carbon monoxide is the least controllable of the aeromedical factors, but it also is very preventable and if you know the warning signs, it's easy to avoid. Up next, we have hyperventilation. Hyperventilation is caused by excessively quick breathing, which can lead to a deficiency of carbon dioxide. Symptoms include lightheadedness, nausea, suffocation, drowsiness, tingling in the extremities, coolness, dry mouth, blurred vision, at a rapid pulse and breathing rate. Early symptoms of hyperventilation mimic those of ordinary air sickness. If you recognize that you are hyperventilating and are experiencing the symptoms, there are a few steps you can take to overcome hyperventilation. easy way to control hyperventilation is to consciously think about taking deep breaths and slow breaths. If done correctly, the symptoms of hyperventilation may subside even within a few minutes. Another option is to do the old breathing-into-a-bag trick. Finally, if you are able, find the point of stress, panic, or anxiety. If the source is an emergency that has to be dealt with immediately, take a moment to remember your emergency procedure training. However, if it is not, attempt to talk yourself down from this state of panic. This should automatically help control your breathing rate. The next aeromedical factor is hypoxia. Hypoxia is often one of the most difficult topics for new student and general aviation pilots. However, you can probably expect it to make some sort of appearance on your written or oral portion of your checkride. The first type of hypoxia is hypoxic hypoxia. It is also known as altitude hypoxia. It occurs when there is a lack of oxygen absorbed by the body due to the atmospheric conditions. As altitude increases, pressure decreases, and the total amount of oxygen also decreases. The second type of hypoxia is hypemic hypoxia. It occurs when the blood is not able to carry a sufficient amount of oxygen to the body's cells. There are a variety of factors which can cause hypemic hypoxia, which include anemia, blood loss, deformed blood cells, or carbon monoxide poisoning. If you donate blood, you should take note of this because donating blood counts as the type of blood loss. The next type of hypoxia is stagnant hypoxia, or an oxygen deficiency in the body due to poor circulation of the blood. This can occur because of high cheese or simply because of cold temperatures, which may reduce the blood to the extremities because of the constricting blood vessels. As a result, this may lead to hyperventilation. The final type of hypoxia is histotoxic hypoxia, which is the inability of the body to use oxygen due to the use of alcohol or drugs. Or any such narcotics or poisons. Hypoxia symptoms include, but are not limited to, euphoria, headache, increased response time, impaired judgment, drowsiness, dizziness, tingling in the fingers and toes, numbness, blue fingernails and lips, and limp muscles. Because hypoxia occurs gradually, it is often difficult to recognize. If it feels like you're experiencing hypoxia symptoms, make sure to inform your instructor or your crew and descend to an altitude of 10,000 feet or below. Attempt to slow your breathing rate in order to increase the oxygen, and check the connections of your equipment if you are using oxygen equipment. Federal Aviation Regulations 21.211 requires that, at the minimum, flight crew be provided with and use supplementary oxygen after 30 minutes of exposure to cabin pressure between altitudes of 12,500 and 14,000 feet and immediately on exposure to cabin pressure above 14,000 feet. Every occupant of the aircraft must be provided with supplemental oxygen at cabin pressure altitudes above 15,000 feet. Hypoxia, like many of the other aeromedical factors, is preventable. If using an oxygen tank, you can increase the oxygen mixture and maintain a comfortable, safe cabin pressure altitude. Some pilots will even use oximeters which can indirectly monitor the oxygen saturation of passengers. Finally, if you avoid smoking or exposure to exhaust fumes, certain medications, and alcohol, hypoxia is much less likely to occur. Sinus block is simple. Because of the trapped fluids in the sinuses, as the airplane changes altitude, it can cause pain for the pilots or passengers. However, decongestants can cause pilot impairment, Typically, if you do have allergies, you won't be able to fly for 24 to 48 hours after taking said medication. For more information, go to FAA.gov medications to see what medications are acceptable to use in flight. Oral decongestants have side effects that can cause impairment, however, most decongestion sprays are allowed but often do not open the sinuses enough to alleviate the pressure. Illusions as an aeromedical factor are incredibly complex. Disturbances to sensory systems or the inaccurate perception of a given situation may produce several dangerous illusions in flight. While we often think of illusions as optical illusions, they can happen to any of our three senses, which we discussed at the beginning of this week's podcast. Because of the complexity of illusions, I'm not going to go into a bunch of specifics about illusions. The most common illusion occurs, however, when the horizon is obscured. There are several steps which pilots can take to prevent illusions from occurring, however it is never possible to eliminate all the risk. Because of this, pilots must be prepared to cope with spatial disorientation. I as a private pilot have never run into an issue with someone who has scuba dived, nor have I ever met someone who has scuba dived or has run into an issue with flying scuba divers. However, if you are going to take scuba divers flying with you, or you are a scuba diver yourself, you must allow sufficient time for the body to rid itself of excess nitrogen produced while scuba diving. If flying at 8,000 msl or below, the recommended waiting time before going to flight altitudes of 8,000 feet is at least 12 hours after diving which has not required a controlled ascent or a less deep dive and at least 24 hours after diving, which has required a controlled ascent. For any flight above 8,000 mean sea level, the waiting time before going to flight altitudes should be at least 24 hours after any scuba dive. These recommendation altitudes are actual flight altitudes above mean sea level, or MSL, and are not pressurized cabin altitudes. This takes into consideration the risk of decompression of the aircraft during flight. Both you as a private pilot And the trained scuba diver should be aware of the regulations regarding flying after taking a scuba dive. However, on the off chance that the diver does not know, make sure that you ask them sufficient questions. Aeromedical factors are crucial and essential to a safe flight. Ignorance of and the indifference to physical demands of flight can be seen as senseless and a lack of concern for overall safety. While flying, a pilot must be in tune to his or her senses and notice any change that is out of the ordinary. This way, we all can make the skies a safer place. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Squawk 5353, the Private Pilot Podcast. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please consider subscribing to my Patreon members of my Patreon gain exclusive access to materials and receive the show before it is actually released on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. If you enjoyed this week's episode, please consider sending it to a friend. Also, make sure to subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you're using. This way, new podcasts will automatically be downloaded to your phone. If you have any questions or an idea for a future episode, please email me. A link to my Patreon and my email can be found in the show notes. Again, thank you for listening to this week's episode of Squawk 5353, and let's make the skies a safer place.